It's a Hokie Hangover podcast presented by Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg. Dr. Jeremy Counts, of course, running things downtown Main Street. Go check that out if you need a COVID shot, need a vaccine, need a COVID test, need medicine, anything you need. Jeremy's got you covered where you're treated like a neighbor, not a number. I am the only true member of the Hokie Hangover podcast on this episode today as we preview Syracuse on Friday morning. It's been a hectic week. But I found myself someone who could come in, of course, and pinch hit and help me preview Syracuse. Billy Ray Mitchell, my colleague at Sons of Saturday, has joined the podcast. Billy, what's going on, dude? Dude, you mentioned pinch hit. We were talking about the Red Sox for this game. I wish, I really am hoping the Sox can figure out how to hit the baseball again. It's been two games in a row where we have not been able to hit the baseball. And I, in a large part, Went to Boston to kind of cleanse my soul from sports teams ripping my heart out. And of course, right on cue, Boston can't figure it out in Fenway Park. So here I am. I have been joking. I have put my clown makeup back on, got in my car, and drove down to Blacksburg to watch Virginia Tech play another football game. Uh, And hopefully we can um, find a way to win a game uh and and turn this thing around but uh but yeah excited to, excited to talk about it and i missed my sons of saturday appearance because i was in fenway watching uh watching the red Sox step up to the plate and strike out and or fly out all night so uh it's my first time talking about it yeah i was gonna say you and i have now pinch hit on each other's podcast this week this is true we've been doing we've been doing a little dance of uh of missing each other kind of like we've been doing in blacksburg uh but uh <laughs> Yeah, um, <laughs> where I have now met the two other members of the Sons of Saturday podcast and have yet to meet you, Billy. Right. We, we share the same sports teams. We uh, have spoken on the phone every week for the last year and a half, probably. Yeah. Um, yep. but yeah still a box that needs to be checked. Yes. Um, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll make that happen here soon. Yeah, we'll figure that out for sure. Yeah, so the, the Red Sox play tonight as we record here on Friday morning. So by the time most of you listen to this, it'll either be Friday afternoon or maybe Saturday morning before the Syracuse game. So you'll know how Billy and I both feel about the Red Sox result. But hopefully, regardless of what happens with the Red Sox, the Hokies can get back into the win column. Oh, man, Billy, I am not feeling good about this. I'm not feeling good about this against Syracuse. I, I When I listened to you guys talk about it on the Suns pod, it, it's so true, right? We go into the season – and whether you're thinking this is going to be a boom or bust season, whether you're, hey, we're in a position to win nine games, hey, I don't, we're going to really struggle to win five or six, I think everybody thinks that those five or six wins would probably have come from a Dino Babers-led Syracuse team. Yep. Um, Tommy DeVito um, that hasn't had a whole lot of consistency or things to be excited about in that program since uh, they beat Clemson a few years ago. Um, but Clemson has a really solid football team. I think the kind of the best way to describe it is they just remind me a lot of Pittsburgh minus this year. They play sound enough defense. They run the ball really, really well. Um, and they are a solid football team. Um, yeah. There's really kind of no other way to describe it. They're a really solid football team that has, I don't know, even know how many positions we are better than them in, in this matchup where yeah. you look at you're like, Oh, we're just going to out talent them. That's not going to be the case on Saturday. Yeah. It's crazy. I agree. Like no matter, you know, how you looked at this Virginia tech season coming in, whether you were more optimistic, more pessimistic, somewhere in between, 
this was a game I think everybody had circled with Syracuse last year being as bad as they were. I think everybody had this game circled as one that Virginia Tech would win, no matter kind of how you felt about the Hokies coming into the year. And like you mentioned, there was a lot of reason to be optimistic coming into the season about why Virginia Tech would win this football team football game on paper. Syracuse, like you mentioned, with Tommy DeVito, it was kind of like up and down really since they lost Eric Dungey. But they made a quarterback change. DeVito's now in the transfer portal. And Garrett Trader has come in, and he's provided this punch offensively. Sure, he's definitely not the most prolific passer Virginia Tech has faced or will face the rest of the season. But he is a big-bodied quarterback who's, you know, 6'4", 240 pounds and runs downhill. And then you have Sean Tucker at running back who has emerged as likely the best running back in the ACC in a conference that's full of really good backs. So. I, I think this is one of those games, Billy, where like all eyes are going to be on Virginia Tech's defensive line, because I thought coming into the year, it was fair to assume that people were more optimistic, right? Jordan Williams in the middle of the defensive line, Amari Barno with a true offseason of development at his new position. Uh, you were getting Taiwan Garbutt back. Like there were a lot of reasons to be optimistic about the defensive line, at least with, with the starting group. And the questions were always about the depth, but even that starting group, it, it doesn't feel like they've really found their footing. You know, a great game against Carolina to open the year, and since then it's been really up and down, but this group's going to really have to show up against a really stout Syracuse rushing attack. You know, I think, I think what, what probably we didn't anticipate uh, that has happened is <clears throat> I think Amari Barno is really talented. I think Taiwan Garbutt is an above-average defensive end. Uh, I like the front, you know, first unit that we have, but I wasn't – anticipating especially after the North Carolina game where we kind of dominated and hold held the ball ever since then our offense has just not been able to stay on the football field and if you're leaving you know if you trust five or six guys on your defensive line uh only to go in there and make plays and and you know disrupt disrupt the offense but they're on the field for you know 37 38 minutes of the game you're not gonna be able to sustain that and aside from that one of my other issues has been I feel like I want to preface this by saying coach Hamilton's done a great job. I think right. he has overachieved in recruiting. He's overachieved uh, or overperformed. I want to say overperformed in recruiting, overperformed in scheme and, and getting the most out of his guys. But the disconnect that I continue to see is it looks like the linebackers and the defensive line are on two separate pages where the yeah. defense has this, okay, I'm going to pin my ears back mentality and get after the quarterback. And you see that really hurts us in the draw game. It hurts us in the screen game, uh, especially against Pitt. I mean, that they were killing us with those, with those kind of plays. A lot of them were dropped as well. Um, but they seem to be on comp- operating on completely different planes. Um, and that's fine if you're getting a lot of sacks and you're getting a lot of TFLs, but we're not. We're not right. getting a lot of we're barely getting any TFLs. Um, and that's kind of been the MO of a Bud Foster defense for years and years and years is TFLs, sacks, disruptions, batted balls. And outside of the North Carolina game, we just have not seen that at all. And without the improvements that guys like Dax Hollifield and Alan Tisdale have made, which have been tremendous strides, if they don't make those strides, it's probably a really ugly year uh, defensively. Um, so yeah. you really have to back to those two. Yeah, agree. I, I think Dax moving back to his natural position has been certainly a net positive being in the middle of the defense, not playing outside in space because, you know, 
go back to North, uh, North Carolina game, you know, Dax got real comfortable, real fast. Garbutt had a huge game, you know, a defensive end, go to the Notre Dame game. Dax misses two tackles in the open field. They probably should have had, but other than that, I think he was second on the team in tackles in that game, had a really disruptive game against Notre Dame. But I think he's been, he's been the subject of a lot of scrutiny because he was playing out of position when, when Rayshard Ashby was still here and in the fold. But I think Dax has, you know, been a net positive since he's been back at his natural position in Mike linebacker Tisdale a bit up and down, you know, uh, there've been some, there've been some positives, you know, but there've still been some times, you know, in, in the open field where he struggled a bit, but again, like, I, I think expectations were really high, right. For, for Tisdale, especially. And I'm not sure he's met those really lofty expectations, but like you said, he's been, he's been good enough. And I think Virginia Tech's linebacking core has made strides in the right direction compared to a year ago. And I, I do think a, a full off season and the new scheme and being able to actually practice this fall is a big reason why Virginia Tech's defense as a whole has been much better. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I just, I'm, I'm waiting for that group to figure it out. Like, I don't think it's as simple as teams are scheming up Amari Barno more effectively. I don't think it's as simple as, as that. Um, but that unit has, look, we're splitting hairs here. I mean, yes, the defensive line needs to be more productive. All I'm saying is Syracuse is the game where you're really going to get put to the test against this front five and against this running back. And especially against this quarterback, who's not a small yeah. guy. That's yeah. a big dude. Um, he's going to be hard to bring down. Uh, if you look at uh, Syracuse this year, they're averaging 231.7 yards of rushing per game. Um, they're going to run the ball. We know they're going to run the ball. Right. And it's down to, A, can our offense keep our defense off of the field for three-fourths of the game? And, B, are we going to be able to put Syracuse in patching, passing situations? I think the key is going to be find a way to get in Syracuse in second and nine, second and 11s, third and fives, third and sevens. And if we're not able to do that, then it's going to be a really, really long, long game. Yeah, agree. This is the second straight week for where Virginia Tech's been tested against a an offense that could certainly cause Tech's defense issues. But Syracuse and Pittsburgh both attack Virginia Tech in a much different way, right? Pittsburgh, everybody was concerned about Kenny Pickett because he's having a great year. Well, Virginia Tech's defense, I think, passed the test in regard to Kenny Pickett, right? Um, Pickett had a little over 200 yards passing, but he was well below his season average, only had a couple touchdown passes instead of like almost four per game, right? Which is what he was averaging coming into it. And then if you look at the running game of Pittsburgh, that's where I'm, that's where I was most concerned, you know, coming into this week against Syracuse, because that Pittsburgh rushing attack really under, under Mark Whipple, the last three years has not been very good. They really haven't had much of a rushing attack, you know, since Quadri Allison and Darren Hall left. And Izzy Abanacanda last week had a pretty prolific second half and really just grinded Virginia Tech's defense down to a pulp when they got tired. And I worry about Virginia Tech stopping the run in this game because Syracuse's rushing attack is much better than Pittsburgh's. And it was just pretty clear, especially in the second half, Billy, when the game started getting out of hand, when we knew the offense was in a hole and the game script changes, you got to throw more than you want to with Braxton Burmeister defense is back out on the field more quickly and they're already tired from how much they played in the first half. I, I figured that stopping the run would be an issue. We saw a lot of tired legs in the second half. And I really just, I'm concerned about this because yeah, you can load the box, but Syracuse still tries to find a way to run and Schrader's been, he's just been okay in the passing game. Like he's coming off his three best passing games, but none of those went 
for 150 yards, but he just does enough through the air to keep the defense off balance. And I almost feel like the Syracuse offense is kind of like, like a late stage Virginia tech offense. Like this is what I think a lot of people were hoping Virginia tech would be able to do this year, run the ball and have a quarterback who has his limitations and Braxton Burmeister kind of figure out a way to piece together just a little bit of a passing game to keep a defense off balance. But yeah, this, this Syracuse offense, I think, even though they're very one dimensional, I, th- I think it's, it's going to be a problem. I think Virginia tech's front seven, especially, or, or front six, however we want to describe it is going to have to be up to, up to the test on Saturday. That's for sure. Yeah, I think, I think, uh, you know, one of the things that a lot of people were upset about that I disagreed with um, last week were why are we throwing the ball so much? Why are we airing it out? It's obviously not what we're good at. Well, against Pittsburgh, you're in a situation where you're not going to out, you're, you're, you have to outscore at a high clip Pittsburgh if you're going right. to Pittsburgh. Um, obviously, we don't, that's not the kind of team that we are, but we weren't about to get it. The, the roadmap for beating Pittsburgh was not going to be the same roadmap that it was for beating North Carolina. Exactly. Not, right. Whereas in Syracuse, I'm really interested to see what Brad and the offense dial up here. Are you going to try, are you going to try to keep the ball away from Syracuse? Um, I don't necessarily think that's a great idea because they're not the type that's going to go down the field and score on you really quickly. They're the type of team that's going to have these 10, 15, 18, 17 yard drives uh, and finish with six points. Um, So, you know, is this going to be one where we, try to exploit, I mean, really our true mismatch against Syracuse is our wide receivers. And if we can't get them the ball, I'm not really sure. I, I don't see an avenue to winning this football game if we're not able to get our wide receivers the football. Yeah, let, yeah, let's flip over to the offense. I think that's a really good point because Syracuse's defense, it, you know, it's, it's a top 35 unit, depending on what metric you look at. I mean, total defense are a little bit higher, but if you kind of look across the board, they, they tend to be a top 35 unit. I'm Syracuse's defense has been much improved this year. I think a big reason why is because the offense is staying on the field longer, right? I think that obviously will naturally help. Plus you get another year um, with a, with a lot of veteran players with a real off season that helps as well. Uh, but I, I think the biggest difference with uh, the Syracuse defense that I've seen is, is more with the front seven, not necessarily the secondary. I mean, when we were looking at Syracuse the last couple of years, it was like, all right, they have Andre Cisco at, at safety and he's like the guy to watch. Well, now he's moved on to the NFL and Syracuse has kind of rebranded themselves with, you know, a, a pretty solid front seven. But I do think Virginia Tech has some matchups to like at receiver. The issue, like you mentioned, is whether or not they're going to be able to, to get them the ball. Um, you know, whether it's Trey Turner, Tavion, Jaden Payu, Caleb Smith, you name it, Blackshear. Like, they got to get the ball in Blackshear's hands more. But, you know, no matter what way you slice it, I mean, it really comes down to whether or not Burmeister is healthy enough a to make the throws and b whether or not even if he is healthy enough like will he will he convert on those types of plays yeah I mean it's just I I, I don't know I I think the die is cast for what Virginia Tech's offense is going is going to be this year yeah um, it's gonna be it's at the end of the day, it's going to be, you're going to need to scheme stuff open. You're going to need to um, take advantage of what Braxton can do. Um, and, and that's really what it's going to boil down to. Uh, I think, you know, we talked about, I was talking to Sam Jesse about this yesterday on the pantheon of things in 2021 that have been the real issue. Um, 
I think our offense just has so much more limitations than we would have ever seen coming into this year. It's uh, worse. It's worse than I thought. Like I, yeah. I was kind of, I had mixed feelings about the offense coming into the year. Like I could see, I could see potential where this could work out. I could also see potential where, you know, it could be bad. Right. Uh, this has kind of been worst case scenario. Like this is even worse than I expected. Well, what, what also is crazy is like the thing that I, that I and most people probably took to the bank is like, look, if Braxton can throw, that's great. But at the end of the day, we're going to have a position where Raheem Blackshear is great in space and our fastest player on the football team is Braxton Burmeister. And he's going to be in a position where he can just kind of run around, yuck it up and make it happen. And he gets, nobody knows when he got banged up. Um, but right. now you're, you're like, dude, if we run him and he goes down, we're going to win three or four games this year. So yeah. you can take advantage of what Braxton Burmeister is probably biggest skill set or biggest add-on is um you kind of just have to find ways to get to to try to get guys the ball and look there have been times this year um I don't want to put everything on on Brax we've had a lot of dropped balls the offensive line has vastly vastly underperformed from what we expect oh Um, yeah yep what's so frustrating about the offensive unit is how many guys have real experience in important football games before 2021 uh i'm not talking about coming in and playing against fordham or you know we've never played fordham i'm not talking about guys coming and playing you know garbage time football minutes we have guys who have played in uh in south bend we have had guys who played in the uh the coastal championship against virginia in 2019 guys that have played since freshman year sophomore year um and those guys have so many guys have just not taken that next step forward and we're still making those freshman sophomore mistakes as juniors and seniors. Um, And a lot of that can fall on the scheme that we're running. If it's too difficult, if we're not uh, helping guys get to where they need to get, but um, I I don't want to make, make it seem like, you know, everything is on Braxton that every unit can be better. It's just been really disappointing. I get, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I think the unit that I've been most, impressed with has been our tight ends i mean i think they've we haven't had a lot of ma's from nick gallo and drake de when they're called yeah. upon um, yeah they've done their job but I, I i am i off base saying that that's kind of been the most consistent part about our offense yeah like when mitchell went out like i knew there was experience at tight end but like you mentioned there was experience at other positions too and you know the experience at other positions have you know have underperformed right and it feels like I look at the tight ends and they've been fine, which is better, honestly, better than you can say about most of the offense. Like if you're fine and you're doing your job, great. I mean, we're not constantly nitpicking the tight ends, right? Like we're not week over week saying like, yo, why did Drake to like not play well? Why did Nick Gallo not play well? Like we're not, we're not doing that week to week. No, I think, I think one of the things that, um, one of the things to keep in mind uh Clemson uh, Clemson Syracuse is not necessarily one of the more Clemson uh Syracuse sorry Syracuse makes a ton of mistakes they're penalized for 61 yards a game that's almost twice as many as we are in terms of converting in the red zone um we're not great at converting in the end zone they're not that much better uh the red zone offensive score percentage is at 80.8 we're sitting at 77.8 um, so 
you know, this football team definitely has flaws. It's just the scheme in which and the way that they attack football games. Look what they did to Clemson. Clemson right. has talent all over the football field, and they have a very similar situation where they have a very anemic offense that's unable to be explosive, unable to sustain drives. Um, and Syracuse, in my opinion, should have won that football game. If right, it yep. A couple of, you know, mistakes. And everybody wants to say, oh, Clemson's bad this year. Clemson's bad this year. Look, Clemson has talent all over the field. It's the first time in eight years they haven't had a, an NFL first-round quarterback, uh, and they have problems of their own. But, you know, let's not discount the fact that Syracuse was taking it to Clemson for – the long for 60 minutes um yeah so you know it's just the scheme that freaks me out and it's the you know this isn't like playing duke where where it's like look we're better at them than every position that's just not that's just not the way it's going to be on saturday yeah agree i mean syracuse is three and four they're zero and three in conference play but they've lost their three conference games by three points each like the last three weeks so they've lost three games by a total of nine points and that way they're very similar to virginia tech save the the pit game of course but with that, the Notre Dame and West Virginia losses, like Syracuse is a couple plays away in several games. And so these are two football teams on Saturday battling in Lane Stadium that are really looking to, I mean, Syracuse has an identity offensively. That's more than we can say certainly about Virginia Tech at this point. But these are two football teams that are kind of battered and bruised coming into this that really need to win bad. And it's going to come down to who wants it more. And I think the the element to watch here, because I don't know that I'm, I'm not sure there's a fix for the offense either. Like you mentioned, the offense kind of is what it is for 2021. I agree. I mean, I, I don't think there is an obvious fix here, Billy, like this year that we can point to and be like, yep, that's going to get better next week. Or yeah, that, you know, we get this guy back, he'll be better. Or, you know, if this guy performs because every week it feels like just something, something different is an issue. You know what I mean? And there's, there's some consistencies for sure, but every week I feel like it's kind of like another element is added to this where like, well, that unit didn't perform well. Okay. This week, you know, it was the other unit and that unit played fine that we were just complaining about. And it's just like no consistency week over week. And yeah, play calling is everybody likes to like, to, likes to harp on the play calling issue with Cornelson. And yes, there are play calling issues with this team, but the bigger thing is this team is not executing and it's different every week. And I think that's a bigger indictment of Cornelson than, than the play calling is in and of itself. It's been a huge mis misunderstanding when, you know, myself or others will say that execution is an issue. It's not placing a hundred percent of the blame on the kid. Um, right. It's kind of has been the way that people look at it. I would encourage people to go back. And when I was saying about uh, Brad and the offense before, I don't think play calling has been the issue in 2021. It's been the issue before. Um, and I think that, you know, the fan base has gotten to a point where if there's not a look, if, if there's not wholesale change, there has to be some sort of micro level change because right. people are just not going to put up with it anymore. Like regardless of if I or anybody else thinks that somebody is an issue, something has, something has to be moved around or something right. has to be done. I agree. Yep. 2019 regardless. Um, what I encourage people to do is go back and look at games like Notre Dame, go back and look at games like West Virginia, go back and look at um, Pitt necessarily wasn't like this. We just got the hell beat out of us for 60 minutes. But West Virginia and Notre Dame, there are three or four times where Brad or the offensive staff draws up a perfectly schemed up play to put a, 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 a player in a position to make a game-breaking play. And it seems like our hit rate on that is 0%. It seems like anytime right. we – 
shot like that or anytime we uh, have the mismatch or the look that we're looking for, it doesn't work out. It's up, oh, somebody ran the wrong route. Up, oh, we overthrew it. Up, oh, we sailed it. Up, oh, the left tackle got beat. Um, so that's been the problem. And we just haven't been able to execute on these on these looks and, and make happen what needs to happen. Uh, the plays that we've been making and that we made all year in 2016, the plays that we made uh, in 2019 and the plays that we made a lot in 2020, even with Herbert, um, we just see none of that explosiveness. Um, and it's, uh, I, I don't know how it fixes itself other than saying X position group needs to get 15% better. X position group needs to get 15% better. And I don't see that happening across the board. Yeah, I don't either. Um, yeah, it's, it's something we're going to have to kind of, you know, suffer through as, as fans and alums and then just kind of manage the rest of the season if, if you're Justin Fuente and, and try to figure out ways to ways to make tech competitive while also at the same time acknowledging that this team is very flawed. Now, you know, techs put themselves in a tough position with, you know, roster management and, you know, that's been I don't want to just beat a dead horse on the Syracuse podcast. Like we kind of know where the, where the program is right now. And like you mentioned, there needs to be some sort of change, right? Whether that's, whether that's, you know, making Fuente the, the play caller, right? Whether that's, you know, shifting things up and, you know, firing some people, right? Whether that's assistants or firing the head coach at the end of the year, whatever. Like there needs to be, there needs to be some sort of change, you know, um, Virginia Tech's offense is in the bottom third of, of college football. They're even like the, the bottom quarter of college football in several statistical categories on offense, you know, um, you know, they're, they're a bottom 30 team in, in almost every statistical category offensively right now out of 130 FBS teams. Right. So, and it's even uglier if you look at it from the, from the power five standpoint in terms of where Virginia Tech stacks up on offense. So, yeah, certainly some, certainly some issues to, to hash out, no easy fix. And Virginia Tech, you know, when looking at the rest of the season, Tech's easiest games are in front of them. But at the same time, with the way that the team performed last Saturday against Pittsburgh, I do understand why, why people don't have a ton of confidence, even though, Billy, I thought the team for the most part played well through the first five games of the year. You know, there were some situational mishaps, West Virginia, Notre Dame. But like, if you look at it in totality, like I thought Virginia Tech's Virginia Tech was managing it fine offensively. Right. And last week was a meltdown. And I think that the fact they were able to manage things through the first, you know, five weeks of the year was a good thing, but this is, this is tough, right? That, that was a, that was a total system failure, you know, last Saturday on offense. And now Virginia Tech's licking their wounds and they got to find a way to put the ball in the end zone. Yeah. I think it's going to be, I think this week more than anything uh, and win or loss aside, you're going to find out after the first 15, 25 minutes, how much these kids want to be there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Where's the fight, right? The fight. Yeah. Are, you, are you quitting or are you not? Right. And that's, uh, you know, a lot of people, I, I didn't like this. A lot of people were kind of alluding to the fact that the entire team may have quit last week. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't, I don't think the defense quit. I think the defense was just on the football field for entirely too long. I agree. I, I agree. 
against a really high powered pit team. And I mean, it's, it's actually really easy to go and look at how many points were scored per quarter and Pitt scored seven points in the entire second and a half. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, I, I'm looking at guys like I said this on the post pit podcast at some point, is somebody from the defense going to go up and grab somebody on the offense's face mask and be like, dude, figure it out. Like I've been on the football right. field for entirely too long. We play our hearts out every single week. We put you guys in position to win every single week. Right. Move the bleeping ball. Um, right. And is that happening in practice? Right. Is that, that that's the, that's the question behind the scenes. Yeah, I have right. a feeling that's probably already happening. Yeah. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that these guys are staying together. I'm hoping that these guys are still battling and we're going to find out like there's going to be, 45,000 people in the stands this weekend. Um, there's going to be booing at the beginning of the game. People are pissed. People are going to be frustrated. Um, and it's going to come down to how much these guys want to be there. Are they still interested in trying to piece together this season? Um, and if not, we're in for a long five or six weeks. If so, then let's hope that Pittsburgh trips up against Clemson, Miami, or North Carolina. Um, Cause like you mentioned, I mean, Aside from Pittsburgh, this team has competed in every football game that they've played in. Um, yep. We just haven't been able to hold it down on the offensive end of things. I'm going to steal a segment from the Suns pod, Billy. Unanswerable questions here before we get into the prediction here. I have one for you. All right. And you're going to know immediately where I'm going here. Okay. So let's say Virginia Tech loses this game by a few scores on Saturday, right? And the team looks like they're quitting. A few scores. 17? Let's say 17. Let's say, let's say, let's say like 31, 14 or something, right? Let's say, let's say like ugly, ugly game teams quitting, right? Looks like the team's quitting. It's not wits MO. You and I know this, this is not wits MO to make a mid season change, but if there's an uninspired performance on Saturday at lane stadium, and it looks like the team quits and Virginia tech loses a double digit game inside lane stadium for the seventh time, under Justin Fuente and in back-to-back weeks. Do you think Witt pulls the trigger? That's an unanswerable question, I know, but I think that would that would be the only scenario where I think he might he might do it. Uh <laughs> I I'm gonna preface this question by saying I really hope we don't do that. Cause that, yeah. that would be yeah. that hard would be on the big, players. Yeah. That would be a big time bummer. Um <clears throat> I think. I'm still a really, really against midseason firings just Me because too. of how, I am too. how unfair it is to the kids in general. Yeah. Um, I mentioned this on the Suns podcast. For those of you who didn't listen, you have to take into account that if Coach Fuente is let go at that very moment, every single coach on the staff, uh, especially on the offense, is going into job looking looking for mode. Um, and their primary focus is no longer winning football games. Right. Um, so it's going to really like, bottom out. It'll really bottom out it's going to really bottom out. So I don't know if I've stood by the letting coach go before the season is over. And before this entire season plays itself out would be more to appease people that are going to boo in the stands. Right. And it is actually doing right by the football team and actually right. doing what can help you win games, which um, Billy, not to, not to cut you off, but Virginia tech only has one home game left after this, right? Virginia tech has one home game left. So they, they can get booed one more time. Right. Uh, if, that, if that happens, um, and that's a seven, what is it? A seven and a half million dollar decision to yep. appease people and make people not angry. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think that that's necessarily worth it. I think if you end up losing this game by multiple scores though, at that point, I can definitely see a play calling announcement 
whether you do it or not, like a play calling announcement right, 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 right. Or, or a quarterback change. Like, yeah, that is, you know, you, you can't, you know, beat your head against the wall over and over and over again. Um, yeah, that's where I stand on it. I I don't know what he's going to do. I I trust him. I'm, I I've said multiple times. I, I, I love wit. I think he's done an amazing job. Um, and I have a lot of love for this staff too, but if you lose by 10 points, I mean, I think all bets are off. That's just kind of how I look at it. I agree. I I don't know what he'll do. I, I, I have no, we just don't do that. Don't lose by. Yeah. Just don't do that. You don't have to worry about it. Right. So, (laughs) Um, but yeah, that is an unanswerable question. It's scary. We're in this predicament. I mean, we haven't, a coach has not been let go at Virginia tech since bill Dooley in like 1980 or 1970. Um, yeah, so long time in this, in this position as fans. Um, so, you know, I guess an unanswerable question for, for you too, is in what scenario is there is, is the only path to, uh, to some sort of tweaking other than a, than a complete change. Is that going to the ACC championship? I mean, I think when we were at the beginning of the year, we did our season preview, we predicted somewhere between seven and three, eight and uh, seven and four, eight and three. Um, I was in the higher end. I was saying, you know, nine or 10 wins. Uh, do you have to have a coastal, uh, a coastal berth in this horrible year in the ACC to justify it? Or where are you on that? I've been, so what I maintain, and and you know, you know, this, like, you know, kind of, kind of where I stand. I have given, I have given the staff credit where it's due after that Carolina game. And then I've been, I've been critical as well, but I think I've tried to be pretty fair, right? Like writing about like facts only, like this is kind of where it's at week to week. Like, um, this is one of those things where I thought coming into the year, it had to be at least eight and four, right? At least eight and four. Um, the schedule, you know, Virginia Tech's three and three and, and, you know, losing to Pitt, you know, losing to Notre Dame and West Virginia close, you know, that that's not where Virginia Tech wanted to be. But I, this is around where I thought Tech would be around this point. You know, I, I thought four and two, three and three was probably pretty reasonable um, towards the end of October. But acknowledging that, like, Tech's got to go five and one down the stretch to reach eight and four. So I think seven and five is probably a bit more realistic. So I do still think this team makes a bowl game. I think the defense is, unless there's, like, major injuries across the board, I think the defense uh, is good enough to keep Tech in games, and and the Hokies will inevitably pull a few of them out, right? I just – eight and four is – it was the bar and, and is the bar for me to keep Fuente. But I think now, which, which is something – this is where this has changed. I think now at the end of the year, you got to move on from four Nelson with how bad the offense has been. So I think if you're going to decide that eight and four is like good enough and we got a, a good recruiting class coming in and like you want to run it back, you can't run it back with the whole staff intact. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, and that, go ahead. Go ahead, Mike. No, no. I was just going to say, I, I personally would be okay. If Virginia Tech finishes eight and four, I would be fine. I would be okay with running it back with Fuente, but moving on from some members of the offensive staff. And I think what, what it boils down to, too, and I, and I alluded to this earlier, is it's not about whether I or the team or coaches think that certain coaches or certain changes would make the team better. It's the fact right. that the fan base is just not going to put up with it anymore. Like the fan base right. is at a point where it's like, look, something's clearly not working. Something has to be done differently. And or I'm not or I just can't do it anymore. Right. And the, right. the attrition has gotten to that point. 
Um, so, I mean, it's, it's like a, I mean, it's been like a really, it's been like a really, uh, it's like a car crash you can't look away from this year. Um, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. It's been, it's been, it's been tough. Pat made a good point on the Sunday Saturday podcast though, like coming out of Pittsburgh, Notre Dame, West Virginia, North Carolina, um, you know, uh, to remove Pittsburgh from that, you were hoping to come out of it two and two, right? Right. And to be Pittsburgh, we didn't. And you have this favorable back end of the schedule. Um, you know, I think you're not in a position where, you know, you're in your own, in control of your own destiny, but who knows what's going to happen. So you've got a very favorable schedule. More than likely Miami is not going to give a damn about their season by the time we get to Miami. Gardens. I mean, Manny's Manny's probably not coaching at that point. I Manny's mean, they're in a worse, they're in a way worse scenario there. For sure. So yeah, I mean, I just we gotta find gotta find a way to win this football game. I'm not very confident. Um, nah, yeah, my confidence is probably the lowest that it's been in a football game that we've played, aside from Clemson last year, um, in a very long time. Um, and it just comes down to the fact that Syracuse knows who they are, and I have no idea who we are, especially right. offense. Not a good, sp- not a good space or place to be in at the end of October. Not having an identity, like no, defense is fine. Offensively, no identity, no like identity, 30, no idea what like, the plan is week to week. Nothing. Like thirty-one seventeen, when you said losing by multiple scores, like I literally just pictured thirty-one seventeen in my head, and that's yeah. just like I, I can, I can, I, I can see that happening. I yeah. Just, I, I don't think Syracuse is the type of team that's going to, you know, you're going to find a way to hold to 10 points or find a way to hold to, you know, 12 points. And yeah. we haven't been able to really prove that we're going to score 20 something points uh, without the help of our defense and without the help of our special teams. So yeah, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a tremendous challenge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To, to take the words out of coach Fuente's mouth, it's going to yeah, be yeah. a tremendous challenge. So predictions here before we wrap up, I got 23 to 14 Syracuse because again, I am not confident. I think the defense will play well, Bill. It's just like, look, 20, 23 to 14. I mean, to get there, that's like, okay, you give up two touchdowns and a bunch of field goals. Like I can see that happening. Syracuse has not been a great, you mentioned this earlier, Syracuse has not been a great red zone team. So this could be a scenario where they're kicking a bunch of field goals, you know, short field goals with Andre Smite, who's a very good kicker um, inside 40 yards. Anyway, he's, he's a very good kicker. So uh, I have 23 to 14 Syracuse because I just need the offense to prove to me that they're capable of scoring more than 14 points on anybody. I'm going to go with a weird score. And this is the last time. I am going to give us the benefit of a doubt. Yes, do it. Somebody's got to uh, do it. I'll go like, what's like a weird score? I'll go like 20, 24, Two. 20. Let's do, let's do 23 to 27 tech. I'll do 23 <laughs> to 27 tech. Um, but yeah, I don't, I, I don't know where 27 points are going to come from. Yeah. I hope we yeah. Were, uh, Tay, Tay on a punt return. Exactly. I'm also, <clears throat> I guess, for unanswerable, que- unanswerable questions too. Is is our best defensive player going to play? Are we going to see Jermaine Waller on the field this week? Yeah, I, I don't big know. Question. Going to make with uh, it being such a run-heavy team, it's going to be fun having Dax back. Um, <clears throat> but this is a game too where I miss Connor Blumrick. Where you know I I would love to find a way to just just do some stuff a little bit differently, and that's why I was so excited in the Notre Dame game is we got so creative. Um. 
but yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if there's going to be some way that we, that we, I'm wondering what the unanswerable question, I guess, and not to go off on a tangent here, Mike, but what is going to be the way that we're going to shift or shake something up? Cause something has to be shook up. Yeah. I, I don't, I, are we going to get tight ends more involved? Are we going to see, I, I've talked about it before. I'd love to see Jalen Holston and Raheem Blackshear on the field at the same time. Yeah. Uh, you and Pat, to my dismay, we're talking about let's just run the triple option with Tavion Robinson. <laughs> but, never uh, gonna happen. But really, just happen. find ways to find ways to get Tavion the ball. You know, find ways to get Tavion the ball. So we'll see. Um, but uh, yeah, I hope we show up. I hope I hope we find a way to magically score more points. It's gonna be interesting. Twelve thirty on ESPN three regional sports networks. I don't know. It's gonna be on like my twenty or something. Brutal. Brutal. So Go find yeah. it somewhere. I have no idea what channel. It depends on the area you're in. So best of luck finding it. If you can't find it and Tech's not playing well anyway, well, you can do a rewatch and, you know, tune into the noon window with some other games. I don't know. Uh, Billy, man, appreciate you jumping on on short notice. Uh, thank you for making your debut on this podcast. Short how, how short notice? I was, I was on the plane leaving. Uh, I was on the plane from New York to Charlotte. And you text me at like 8.30. It's like, hey, can you please podcast with me tomorrow morning? Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> I guess. yeah, we uh, we were having some scheduling issues on on our end. So I needed literally anybody to jump on with me. Otherwise, it turns into the Sons of Saturday National podcast that I do at times where it's just me kind of talking endlessly into a microphone for 40 minutes. So appreciate you, uh, you guys jumping do a great on. Job. I appreciate, uh, appreciate you letting me hop on here. And um, and yeah, we'll uh, we'll see how it, to, uh, how it pans out. Yeah, and we'll be back with the uh, the usual crew next week to recap whatever this game ends up being. Virginia Tech-Syracuse this Saturday at Lane Stadium. Tune in. We'll see how it goes. Thanks, Billy. Yep. Yep.